Welcome to Ganja and Grigio by Bouquet Agency. We're a multicultural team of talented women with various skill sets and backgrounds. Together, we discuss all things cannabis, marketing and branding, innovation, go to market, bud tenders, and so much more. And together, we're a Bouquet Agency, a 360-degree marketing and sales agency created for the cannabis lifestyle space. And welcome to our clubhouse chat. What up, Betty, Jamie? How y'all doing today? What's up, Tyra? What's going on? Betty, you sound quiet and stationary. Is like, is this, is this, this has to be a, a unusual moment for you. It's quiet. Yeah, the kids are on spring break and they're with their dad. And <laughs> literally, uh, Jamie, I don't know if you kn- knew this because Tyra saw my nails in the last Zoom. She's like, wow, did you get your nails done? <laughs> Oh, I noticed. <laughs> I was like, that's how you know Betty's not on mommy duty this week. That's right, because they're because <laughs> they're never done. Are <laughs> uh, you ladies ready to kick off this episode of Ganja and Grigio? Let's do it. Um, you know, as a we celebrate women 365, you know, as a woman-led agency. But, you know, in recognition of Women's History Month, we are highlighting topics related to women and cannabis marketing, specifically, of course. Um, According to the Cannabis Data Platform headset, women spend 66% more of their cannabis wallet on CBD-containing products than men. And women have a strong preference for wellness-adjacent products with their highest rates of market participation in tinctures and sublinguals, topicals, capsules, and edibles. And of course, the data clearly shows that it's important to remember that consumers don't buy products, they they buy product benefits. Um, Jamie, in your experience, what are some misconceptions cannabis brands have had about marketing to female consumers, especially when it's not a female-centric product? Yeah, I just feel like all they do is make everything like floral and pretty and, you know, like goop-like. Um, and make it like they really, really lean into the benefits hard, uh, on the wellness side of things. And, you know, um, that was sort of what they, what all the cannabis brands thought the new consumer was going to be, who the new consumer was going to be was this like canna mom, you know, um, with all of these wellness benefits to it. And that's why women were going to get into cannabis and purchase and consume CBD especially. Um, but I think that they've just completely like bastardized the plants. Like it's crazy. <laughs> Betty, same question for you. You know, what experience do you think are some of the misconceptions cannabis brands have about marketing to female consumers? I think they think that females aren't interested in it. It's a very, um, it's very stigmatized for a male community kind of like how mainstream media plays into like who is into cannabis. I think like if you're, if you're marketing a cannabis brand, you have to, I think you have a duty to kind of break down the barriers and destigmatize the stereotypes. I think that's your duty, you know? And I think that if like, look, like you're marketing a genre, like a specific category, but it's a lifestyle, just like how sneakers were, just how other things were, right? And so I think it's your duty as a cannabis brand to break down 
the stereotypes. And so like marketing, marketing towards women, I think is, is one of the audience types you got to cater towards and you got to market towards. And plus cannabis isn't just like green, it's edibles, it's, it's beauty products. There's so much in the world of cannabis right now that's going on and you got to educate people. But don't you think that's what the brands are trying to do? They're just not doing it very well. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, some of them do, some of them don't. I mean, like, like I always go back to Steezy because they're such lifestyle play, right? You look at them and you're like, okay, they have a specific demographic and look and feel. I think like kind of some of the infused beverages are trying to get into the game. You know, the the edibles, like really, are they educating people, educating people like, I know just from a casual consumer, people are afraid of edibles. They're like, okay, if I take the gummy, then what, what's going to happen, right? Um, what's going to happen? Um, and people don't really know. So as a brand, you, you should educate your consumers. Like if you take it, it's fun or it's relaxing or whatever that environment is going to be when they take your product, right? Just like basically your, your branding is like, I'm cool. I'm this, I'm that right. Or whatever it is in your, in your whole branding strategy, but that's gotta, you gotta educate at least the casual consumers. Cause your loyal consumers, they already know, but you want to reach beyond, you want to reach beyond that. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. Cause in Canada, the regulations are so different than in like California, just as an example. So some of the, some of the ways that the brands are able to speak in the U S they're not, they're just not allowed to speak that way in Canada. So even when you walk into a dispensary, like you just said, like, you know, um, selling the benefits, you're not allowed to give the consumer, like if they, if they come in and say to you, I am looking for a product for sleep, just as an example, cause that's a benefit, right? Um, you're not allowed to recommend anything. What you can say is for nighttime use, we recommend this, but there's, there's, like pretty strict regulations around like product claims. And so like that, you know, the original question around buying the benefits, like we, you can't do that in Canada. So it's, it's, it's a whole different ball game here. I think too, though, it's beyond just um, packaging and, and product benefits. I think it's where, the consumer engages with your brand and how they engage. So when I oftentimes look at, let's say the low hanging fruit, social media platforms, um, pictures, uh, profiles, languaging, all of those types of different things, it's kind of like, oh, well, I don't know about that. Something about the picture or something about the caption or something about this doesn't always sit well or you're kind of like turned off by it, right? Um, I think some brands do very well in which in in which they speak to the benefits of their product and, and what their marketing line is. Right, as Betty said, where you know you have the candescence. Um, there's a few other edible brands off like off the top of my mind that um, that I miss their names, but that's exactly what they're selling. Right, they have sleep, they have calm, they have creative. 
um, the, 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 the language in which they are speaking to is the product benefit at the same time, right? Where they're not, where they can possibly skew that line where, you know, you have the instance in Canada, like you said, Jamie, where, you know, can't, your butt tenders can't speak to the benefits of the, or the quote unquote, as they say, the claims of the products they're selling. Oh, I was muted. I said it's a whole different. <laughs> um, I said it, it. It's a whole different market, right? It's a whole different. Um, like you can do so many other things in the U.S. that we just can't get away with here. But you can advertise the butt tenders there. Uh, if you're, if you know where to find them, right? You know how I feel about High Buds Club. I think it's a great concept. And once like the market catches up, like it's it's going to catch fire. So. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I already am starting to see like the richness of my conversations have just changed over time because the brands like knew that the bud tenders were important but I don't like here and I don't think that they recognized really to the degree in which they are important and you know now retail in Ontario at least next month it's been it's been online for two years and so we're really starting to see the data and and the accumulation of the data and the bud tenders choice is how we'd get sold. And so we're just, you know, I'm seeing like the people who were like, yeah, yeah, Jamie, good idea, good idea, being like, okay, now how do we do this? We need to get involved. It's not short term, it's long term. We need to continuously speak to them. Um, so the bud tender has really become like an advertising target uh, for these brands. I think what's really dope too, Jamie, as you speak about that is that the bud tender is the consumer in, in a, a much more knowledgeable consumer, right? As I look at the bud tenders, the bud tenders are much more knowledgeable consumers. So therefore, when someone goes into a dispensary, they're like, oh, I, I'll use myself for an example. When I go into dispensary, if I get to choose the, the bud tender that I'm working with, I'm looking for that person that sort of looks like me, who I see is carrying a certain type of swagger, um, what kind of elements I can relate to, because I already know as a consumer going in, I'm, I'm heavily educated and I know what I want and what I'm looking for. So I know that if I can find somebody who's on my same wave level, um, they can, we can relate with one another and they can provide the product that I'm looking for, right? Do you feel that because the bud tenders are more diverse, um, brands are now understanding how they can speak, you know, um, or market in a more diverse language? So it's actually really interesting because the bud tender is the can of sewer. It's the can of sewer that we all talk about. And it's what's, what's interesting is like in my group, I have people of all different backgrounds, right? All different ethnicities, all different age ranges. So it's quite diverse. But the one common thread 
is that they're all obsessed with weed. And so it's like, so the brands need to understand like what makes the bud tender tick. They really um, are like, I know, you know, on like a pay scale, they're just retail workers, quote unquote, but they're not. There's so much more than that. And being a bud tender is a lifestyle. It's a choice, right? Like they can't believe that they get paid to like sell weed for a living legally, you know, that they get to talk to consumers about cannabis openly. And so to your point, Tyra, it is a really diverse like audience, but the one commonality is they're all obsessed with weed. And so I think the brands are starting to figure out that that's a consumer target. And so, you know, um, we talked about this a bit last week, I think, or the week before around like targeting, right? Um, you know, like having the psychographic profiles and like being a bud tender is sort of the psychographic profile for a canisseur. So I don't know that they're speaking to them very well, but they're definitely now at least trying to speak to them. Betty, as someone who's, you know, more on the, on the executive side, mm -hmm. do you feel that having women in executive positions, women who are head of creative teams, head of marketing messages, et cetera, et cetera, help influence the way, you know, products are marketed to women and other diverse groups? I mean, for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. Female executives, I mean, look, like, if you were to ask me this question, if you're asking me this question forever, I, the answer would be the same. I think you're seeing more female executives. I also think like, look, like I've been in the gaming space. I've been in the music festival, EDM hip hop festival space. I've been in obviously in the digital space and you have to, in order to be a good marketer, you have to be into it, right? You really have to like be into it. And so, um, you know, females marketing to females i think there there is some importance to that but it's also like I, I i would probably stay in the middle on this question because like look like i also feel like okay gaming's a male dominated industry but i know it really well and i can market to gamers music festivals like skews male female edm scales you'd be surprised edm actually scales 60 40 60 percent being male and like i can definitely you know, market to a music festival, festival, move tickets. But I do think like in cannabis, because it is a little bit of the wild, wild west. Um, I think when you're talking about edibles, infused beverages, beauty products, there you need to use it. You, yeah, you do. Like you, you, you need to use it. You need to know it, whether you're male or female, if you're marketing to a female audience, I think like, look, like if you're, I always think about it like if I'm marketing to moms, am I the mom they're talking marketing to or is it this type of mom? So when we talk about like demographics and persona profiles, I think those are big marketing things that a lot of like if you're a startup company, you're like it's not we can't spend money on profiling our consumers. But at some point you need to so you know exactly who you're marketing towards and you know exactly how to target them and then how to retarget their network to get them on board. 
And I think I you think... brought up you brought up an interesting point too, Betty, because now as modern marketers, we can't always skew. And and then this is someone who's an open-minded marketer, right? I believe that to really be in marketing in general, you have to be someone who has open high, open mind, open heart, right? Hundred percent. Um, we, but, you know, I know this is Women's History Month and we talked about this, but I think there's all kinds of spectrum of women, right? I think there's also trans women. We, you know, there, there are all kinds of different things on the spectrum, you know, in which we can, um, market to or who can be on the spectrum so you're right Betty it's not just about you know marketing to male female demographics or consumers um, which is something I know that we've discussed as a group about skewing our messaging when we're working with clients um, not to think of their products in that manner right thinking about what is the lifestyle of that consumer how are they going to relate and incorporate this into their life rather than oh um, I'm gonna put some flowers on this packaging and say that it's female oriented and I'm gonna put some bold bold colors and print and a naked girl over here and some I'm gonna market to the male demographic as well well it's about being thoughtful right like it's who's actually using my product how are they gonna use it why would they buy it what is their reason to believe that this is the right product for them and you know like it's 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 Betty, it's like elementary marketing 101, 100%. But, but it feels like the cannabis brands are just now starting to be like, oh, we're not just tar- like marketing to weed smokers. Like, oh, there's, yeah. we need to actually know something about the people that we're marketing to. Oh. I mean, it's, you know, it was like when I was at, when I did music festivals, I would talk to the consumers literally walking up to the gates inside the festival ordering food like i'd ask them questions like why may why did you come to the festival and just like questions like that when i was in gaming i didn't know anything about league of legends let's be honest and league of legends had this massive boom and i was at machinima but in order to be a great marketer i had to like you have to get ingrained into what your consumers like your job is to understand the consumer and how and what's their, you know, it's a marketing like lingo, lifetime value. But like, yeah, if my marketing consumer is bucketed between, I'm, I'm just calling it 18 to 32. And then after 32, they move on to a different product. Like those are the things you have to know. You have to know your consumers well. You really have to know who you're targeting. So then you're getting the most value out of your money being spent to convert a consumer. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the what you just said. I I walk into dispensaries and I just ask questions and I just try to figure out, like, what does this market know? How are the bud tenders talking to the consumers? How are the bud tenders selling the products? Because that allows me to give solutions to help them. But if you don't know like what problem you're trying to solve or who your consumer is, it's sort of next to impossible to succeed. Well, you know, we're not always about bashing bashing and, and shitting on these um, cannabis brands. I want us to also talk about a dope partnership that I saw, a corn branding deal with Vice TV. So Trans Candle Holdings announced that its subsidiary Lifted Farms um, 
announced a partnership and co-branding deal with popular Vice TV personality Sage Dunkmaster Thomas. Sage is the start of a popular reality show, Dunkmaster, um, is a larger-than-life personality with a cult-like following in the car racing subculture of dunk racing. So I don't know if you've ever seen this, um, but dunk ra- the dunk cars apparently are the old-school cars with the oversized, big, big, like 20, 25, 23-inch rims. Um, and I didn't actually didn't notice. I've seen them as like lifestyle cars and people drive around and show them off, but there's actually a whole race culture behind of them down in the South. So the, the partnership is to include a proprietary Lifted Farms cannabis product and brand centered around Sage. In exchange, Lifted Farms receive an on-car branding um, to the online series, which has received over 30 million online views. Um, I think what you have here is a, a strategic partnership that brings together targeted and overlapping audiences in cannabis, drag racing, and gaming. And it brings attention to the kinds of influencers brands should be bringing into the influencer marketing strategy, micro-influencers. Um, and just an FYI for our listeners, um, though Dunkmaster has millions of YouTube views, he only has uh, 21,000 YouTube subscribers and 263,000 uh, followers on Instagram. Betty, um, I know you've worked with a variety of influencers with a variety of audience and fan base sizes, but what would you say are some pros to working with micro-influencers? I mean, micro-influencers, for me, I've managed influencers with millions of followers, like, you know, tens and thousands of followers and anyone in between. The size of your, of an influencer's network, it really, it really varies. If you have like the high millions, then your audience is likely global, right? You have a high uh, you have um, a large number of people in India or China or, or like different countries. Um, I, I'll take China out. You probably have a, like Philippines, India, South America, right? The guys that are micro influencers, it depends on what you're targeting. They will likely have more engagement and actually the audience size that you want. So typically when I work with an influencer, I will always ask them to share their insights with me because I wanna see where their reach is. So if you have, I'm, I'm just saying this, if you have a million followers, 50% of them are overseas, 50% are North America. So really you're dealing with 500,000 users that you definitely wanna target, right? Then you're gonna look at engagement and see, oh, do they have 5%, 10%, 20% engagement um, and see what you think is the best bang for your buck. And also like, just because someone has a million to 10 million followers, does their content match your brand? And so there's quite a bit of influencers I love, but I don't know if they necessarily match a brand that I'm working with or like, you know, Fibo or anything like that. So it's a smart move by engaging an influencer like that. 200,000 followers, engagement's probably pretty good. Content is endemic to what they want, Um, you know, Contextual content, like just the relevancy of the content, it's super important to your brand. So when you're picking influencers, those are the things you're looking for, not necessarily the guys with like mass reach. Jamie, how should brands be using influencer marketing to strengthen their customer relationships? 
picking influencers that align with their core values and have communities that also like support that. So it's, again, I always go back to who are you talking to and why, why should they care? And so to me, the best, the best partnerships are the ones that are, are organic, you know? And so picking influencers that actually, again, talk about cannabis, use cannabis, smoke cannabis, whatever it is. Um, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel authentic if you have like, um, you know, somebody who has never, ever, ever talked about cannabis or their use of cannabis on their platform. And then all of a sudden is, you know, um, doing a sponsored post, like that doesn't feel real. Um, that, that, that to me is the biggest no, no, like just hundred percent, you know, like work with people, work with people who actually are authentic and real and are, will be able to communicate to their audiences why they should care about your brand. And again, it goes back to, you can only do that if you actually use the products. Yeah. You want to build trust. It's all about the marketing today is building trust. You know, this isn't that that top-down marketing that was back in the day. This is like, in order for you to build a great brand and work with the right people, you have to have that trust. And if you're, if I'm teaming up with someone that's got 10 million followers, never smoked weed, never ate an edible, you're gonna get called out for sure. We're in a whole new world. Like, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not the, like it's not the you know old school way of doing things anymore. We're in a whole new world. But and people too, know when people are full of it, which is true. And, and I agree. I you know you you know I agree with both of them on both of those points. But also too, from all of the content that I was able to look through with you know Sage on his social media profiles and even the content within. Um, his YouTube series, and not one point in time do you see him smoking cannabis or promoting cannabis or anything of that sort on on um, on camera or on pictures or on posts or anything like that. But let's be honest, we know that certain subcultures, right, drag racing, gaming, you know, we understand that those audiences overlap with cannabis. We know that there's cannabis usage. How do brands decipher and understand? I think this is one of those successful moments where a partnership really understood like a culture, a subculture. And they understood, well, okay, well, we know that although we can't necessarily go through and he might not be able to do the traditional promoted ads, you know, anything of that sort, just sort of in NASCAR or any of these professional sports where they can place their branding on the car of, of his, uh, and, you know, have that, that visibility on his YouTube channel with his audience, I think also speaks volumes as well, where it doesn't always have to be in your face upfront marketing. That, that's the best kind of marketing when it's not upfront in your face. You know, it's interesting to see gamers starting to kind of turn the corner on cannabis. I mean, just even maybe a year ago, I think Jamie, when we were at Mary Jane, you couldn't get an esports team to even kind of look at cannabis because it hurts their overall their other branding deals. Yes, so you're, that is facts. <laughs> yeah, you, you yeah you have like an esports team 
that is sponsored by Dell Alienware or PNG, you know, like they, you know, you have these brands that they're attached to already. And yes, they, they love cannabis, whether it's edibles, infused beverage, it may not even be the greens, like, right. It, it could be something else, but they wouldn't do the deal because it would hurt their other deals. And so it's, it's actually, you're starting to see a wave of influencers being more open to working with cannabis that aren't your typical, um, cannabis influencers. Now we know that there's an audience cross duplication amongst music gaming and cannabis, right? And how do you capitalize on that? Some are more open than others, but you're starting to see like a cultural movement, whether it's slow or not, you're starting to see that movement slowly. Yeah, I think that we, you know, I think in the U.S. it really does have to federally legalize. And once it's federally legal, I think the floodgates are going to open on these influencer deals on, you know, on on the green rush, like big dollar cannabis companies, you know, like top notch stuff. Um but it definitely now still like they have to be cautious. They can't, they have to weigh it's, it's different than an alcohol sponsorship. Like they, they really do have to weigh the risk in a much different way um, in order to get these cannabis deals. But I think that's changing. I do think it's changing. We spoke about some positives. Are there any negatives in working with micro-influencers in these situations? Working with the wrong ones? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, there's always, like, when you're, if, when you're a marketer, right, you're putting... Not every campaign is going to pop. No, but you're also putting the hands of your campaign into someone else's hands. So you're letting go a little bit of control. So as a marketer, you have to be okay with that, right? You have to you have to work with someone hand in hand and understand each other's personalities. At times they either mesh and, and sometimes they don't. Um, that's, I think that's just human nature and it's just people. And sometimes you think, oh, this is the right influencer who has the relevant content. They have the right stats, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't go the way you want. So like, do you, should you work with influencers? Yes, they have their own audience. They have their own contained audience. Does it work all the time? Not necessarily, which is why you have an overall marketing plan. Influencers being either can lead it or be a component of it, right? But that's why you have to have a, a, a good media mix. If you're putting all your eggs in the influencer basket, just make sure you've done your due diligence and done the research. You looked at the insights. You you know, they should be able to provide you the best times to post, like the most optimal times to post too, because they know their channels the best. Uh, switching gears for a second, we spoke a lot about brands working with influencers, and I want to talk about influencers working with brands. And Jamie, you know, you're the founder of the Bud Tender Community High Buds Club, and so you represent the influencers, in this case, the Bud Tenders. What advice would you give to someone who's working toward, you know, becoming an influencer or if they've built their own community and want to work with brands? Um, 
I would say that they have to be selective the same way brands have to be selective in who they work with as influencer, as an influencer, you have to protect your brand and be success and be particular in who you work with. So just because somebody's offering you a bag doesn't mean you should take it. Facts, 100%. What are some things, you know, that this up-and-comer should be looking for once they maybe have gotten into that deal or they've got this deal on the table? You know, what are some steps to first for this first-timer in, in getting their first branding deal? I mean, you can look at your deal terms. I would definitely look at your deal terms. Make sure, like, there are certain th- things in deal terms you should look for. De- definitely payment terms. Because, look, if you're not reading that, they could pay you 90 days later, right? Like, you can have a net 90 in your contract, and you'll net, you'll, it'll be, you'll be chasing that money, right? So at least negotiate some portion of it up front. Um, but in regards to, like, if I'm an influencer and I'm looking at a brand, should I work with this brand? One, you got you. You definitely got to ask around. The influencer community is small, so if they've reached out to you, they might have reached out to your friend. So you should probably ask. You should definitely do like the basics. Uh, you should start look at their corporate website, look at their social handles. You'll get a vibe. You know, I, it's hard to say like here are the things that will red flag or not red flag. Some of it's gut instinct because um, there's some brands like you've never heard of that like are actually well-funded, well-backed, right? Like as they start a go-to-market launch, there's some stuff that you've, if you're working with a, a brand, they're just launching a new product. So you, you have to really like understand the people that you're working with and like how the business is backed. Like there is some due diligence that, that goes with the influencer and or their management team. The other thing that I would add is um, is content rights, is like making sure there are very clear terms on the image rights and how long they are allowed to be used for, who owns them, where they're going to be used, um, just to ensure that you're not, you know, creating what you believe is imagery, like that's for your channels. And then the brands are using them for their entire marketing campaign and you don't get paid a dime for that. They will want to use it in perpetuity forever Forever. and ever and not, you know, go back and ask you and not ask you, you know, it's it's funny. We're relaunching a website for FIVO and I've licensed all the images. So you basically got to, Get the photo on Getty. You got to pay for for the image. Pay the photographer for the image. Then you got to pay the talent for the use of likeness, right? And so you have to get both forms in agreement to be able to use imagery for your site. Yeah. And so imagine, imagine you do a campaign ten years ago, and all of a sudden you go to the Fivo site, and there you are, and you yep. don't get paid. Exactly. So that's a big one. That's a big one. Give some great advice. Um, to wrap the show, I wanted to talk. I wanted to bring up something that we spoke about actually a couple weeks ago. The launch of Seth Rogen's cannabis lifestyle brand, Houseplant, on March 11th in the California market via direct to consumer. 
Not only was the brand launching with a flower product, but they also launched house goods and lineup household products, including tabletop lighters, ashtrays. Well, guess what? Due, due to the high demand, the website crashed for a few hours. Um, Jamie, I believe you and I spoke about this brand and just how, you know, the difference, their go-to-market strategy here was different um, versus here versus in Canada. Um, but I think this, I brought this back up because it, it had a, a very similar feeling to, I call, you know, the sh a streetwear release and um, a drop, a drop, <laughs> an exclusive drop. Um, and the fact that, of course, too, that we're in the middle of a pandemic, one, and two, that, you know, the product is not actually available in dispensaries in California, it, it just, it, it speaks to the demand. So I just wanted to close out the show just once again, talking about drops and the opportunities and where do we see, you know, opportunities like this continue to pop up with brands in U.S. market, even in the Canadian market, Jamie, I know things are different, but I think, I still think that product launches and merch an exclusive, you know, um, swag is still a, a key, I think, monetary component for cannabis brands that they're not capitalizing on. Um, so I just wanted you guys to hear you guys' thoughts on this. Yeah, I think that, you know, Houseplant is a really interesting one because, like, Seth has obviously made um, an entire career out of being a stoner. Um, and, you know, with, with, what he's been doing on Instagram over the last like, year or so with his pottery. Um, it really did feel very organic to me. It was, you know, you're buying a piece of Seth Rogen essentially. And the, I think it's the first, you know, so it's the first one and it's, there was a lot of hype around it. And that team worked on that drop, I mean, for two years that I know of. So, you know, there was definitely, it was always the intention to be in California, to be direct to consumer. And I think that they did it really well. Um, it just remains to be seen if it's, a, you know, a fad uh, with Houseplant or if they can continue the drops because I think there is to, something to be said for these, you know, cannabis brands. It's a plant, right? You grow, you can only grow as many as you grow. It's yes, it's a commodity. Sure. But I think that there's something for these like small batch craft type of drops that we're going to start seeing a lot more in the direct to consumer space, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't believe their site crashed though. And I'm like, you got to get your IT infrastructure guy to make sure AWS or whatever CDNs you're using is loading up to hit all that traffic. So for all of you guys that are selling stuff on your website, make sure that you have enough um, that your infrastructure can handle like a lot of transactions. I always tell people that they don't really look at like how much their site can handle. So that's, it's super important. That was my technical feedback, Jamie. I'll, I'll, I'm only giving technical feedback on that one. <laughs> you know, I have no technical feedback. I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe the site went down. I was like, what's your CMS on? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for me, 
coming from the music space and seeing the opportunities and just seeing what merch has really, how it's just, the game has changed. How merch has changed, how um, not only from a standpoint of working with the major brands, but even street street brand collaborations uh, and street brand collaborations with major brands. And I just love seeing the innovation that comes across with all of them. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, some 420 capsules this year from both cannabis brands and streetwear brands. So I would love to see moving forward. I think, and we'll probably, and we definitely will see it more and more, you know, uh, that, that cross hibernation across both sectors. So I'm excited either way. They can have all my dollars. I'm going to start a little stash. They can take all my money. I'll create a whole little content. It's amazing though. There's like literally content creators all behind either exclusive job wear um, or even um, uh, retro vintage clothing. So I'm going to just start doing um, content around exclusive cannabis clothing drops. I want it all. There's so many brands like, that do it so well, these, these cool merch, right? Like it, it really is the second representation of your brand and the best way to advertise if you do it well. All right, guys. I think that's all I got for you guys today. You, any closing thoughts, Jamie, Betty? No, I'm good. I thought this was a good <laughs> chat. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on Ganja and Grigio today. We'll be back next week, Tuesday at 4 p.m. PST, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can follow us on all social media platforms, Bouquet Agency. That's B-U-K-E-I Agency. And we hope that you uh, learned a little something today or uh, got caught up in cannabis news. Thank you. See you next week. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Bye. Bye.